Well, welcome to part two of Comparison Trap, a series where we entertain what happens when we compare ourselves to the people around us. What happens to you when you take your cue from the people around you? And we decided last week, this is part two, part one, we decided last week that for the most part, there is no win in comparison. There's no, nothing to gain, there's no finish line, there's no satisfaction, and there's really ultimately no peace in comparison. There's no peace when I look to my left and to my right to see if I'm doing all right. That's what we do when we compare ourselves, looking to our left or our right to see where we stand. And usually what we're looking for is we're looking to see if I, if, if I have more er than you, if I am richer, skinnier, smarter, younger, prettier, happier, hipper, talented-er. We talked about what it's like last time the, the, the message was titled The Land of Ur and what it's like to live in the land of Ur, a place where I try to get more Ur than you. And if I can get more Ur than you, I feel better about me. And we decided there's a lot of dangers in living in the land of Ur. There's a lot of dangers when we constantly are comparing ourselves to one another and trying to, to draw value uh, from that. And can we just all agree that our, our kids, that our, the, the world that our kids are growing up in, if you're a parent, that there's a lot of dangers out there. There's constant bombardment for our kids to compare uh, themselves to each other. And there's a lot of danger living in the land of Ur. Simply say, stated, there is no win in comparison. That's kind of this, the, the big idea for this series. There's no satisfaction, no finish line, no end to the toil of trying to get ahead in the land of Ur. And um, we looked at last time, we looked at a guy who wrote like 3,000 years ago, he, he wrote about this. And he, he said, I looked out and he said, I saw so much competition based on envy. I saw so many people driven by envy of each other and that's what drove them. And he's like, this too, it was meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. So let's not chase after the wind, right? Let's not play the game. Let's not fall into the trap of comparison. At the end of, of last week, I asked you to, to kind of pay attention in your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Pay attention to what drives you. Pay attention to at, whether you're at work or at school or with your family, uh, with your friends. What, what or who are you using as a reference to point out, uh, to, to, to point to tell you uh, let me start over. What or who are you using as a reference point to tell you if you're doing all right? I told you to, I asked you, just kind of pay attention. Don't necessarily even make a judgment call. Just notice that, you know, like, hey, this is where, where I'm drawing my, my comparison from. And some of you talk to me afterwards, you're like, I, I, I see this. It's interesting you say that. I, I start to look and I'm starting to realize I, I, I'm trying to draw, like, recognition from her or recognition from him is really important to me. Or if I could just get to this position, or if I could just get this job, or if I could get the girl, or if I knew what I wanted to do after college, if I could just realize this, then I would be all right, then I would be fine. What is it for you? Were you able to see some things? If you were here last week, were you kind of paying attention this week? And if, if you're new this week, pay attention. I, I want you to continue this. Pay attention. What are you taking your cue from? What is the finish line? Is it your GPA? Is it your roommate? Is it your mom? Your dad? What is it? for you, because all of us are tempted to look to our left and look to our right to see if we're doing 
all right, and that can get us into trouble sometimes. I want to make something really clear before we continue, that um, while I think comparison is dangerous, I'm not against healthy competition. I'm not against looking at somebody else and drawing inspiration from what they do. Like, that's really cool. Like, I'd like to do something like that. I'm not against, you know, finding motivation from the people around us. I think those are all good things. And uh, honestly, just so you know me, it drives me nuts that we live in this day and age where every kid gets a trophy. So that's not what I'm vouching for here in this you know, comparison trap thing. Uh, we, we did a, a, an Easter egg hunt the other day, and it was a non-competitive Easter egg hunt. It drove me crazy. I wanted to see kids running around and throwing elbows. It just seems natural to, for that to be the case. Um, so just so you know, like I, I, while I'm against unhealthy comparison, I'm all for drive and motivation and healthy. I, I went skiing on, on Monday with a, like six guys that are all my age, and it was on. And, and it was good, and I was not going to be beat. I was, but in the meantime, like, like that's, I, just so you know, that's not what I'm driving against. Here's another thing that I, w- I want to make clear as we continue in this series, is about these questions, the questions that we ask, am I okay? Am I doing all right? Do I have what it takes? Where do I stand? I want, I want to make one thing clear. I don't think those questions are actually bad questions. That as we, we talk about you know, our tendency to compare, which, at, which actually uh, kind of ushers us into asking questions, okay, where do I stand? How, how am I doing? I think that those are actually important questions, and I think they're extremely natural questions to ask. I mean, we see it in, in kids, like little boys, like, like, do I have what it takes? That's a good thing in a little boy. Like, do I have what it takes? I, I'm asking that question. I'm going to go off that jump. I'm going to go ask that girl out and see if she says yes. Like, that's a natural thing about who we are. And actually, one of the things that's interesting is, I was thinking about this week, is one of the reasons I'm a Christian is because Christianity offers a really good explanation as to where those questions come from. Who am I? Do I have what it takes? Where do I stand? And not only does it offer an explanation for those questions, it actually offers uh, an answer to what or who we should be looking to in order to answer those questions. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And if you're, you're the per- a type of person who, who's kind of stepped away from the church or you, lo- you're, you, call your, you would call yourself spiritual but not religious um, or you're not, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I'm really glad you're here today because honestly, like, you, the, the reasons that you may have stepped away from Christianity is like, it's just so much about the, the future and you go to heaven when I die someday, but it's not much about the present and, and that kind of thing. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm glad you're here today because I'm hoping to show you that there's so much more for Christianity in this life is one of the things we're going to see today. And so let's, let's, let's get right into the passage. I want to dive into this passage. It's out of the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Galatians. And actually, Galatians, if you don't have your Bibles, we're going to put it up here on the screen. The, uh, this is actually, we call, it, we call them books, but it's not really a book. It's actually a letter. It's an ancient letter that was written probably about 50 AD, so 20, 25 years or so after Christ lived. Um, it was written to people in the town of Galatia, which was a Greek province or Greek town. And so these are Greek people that, that Paul was speaking to. He was writing in Greek. Um, when Paul was, was writing, he probably, what's interesting is about this letter is when Paul was writing, he probably had no idea 
that what he was writing, we would be reading today. That 2,000 years later, somebody would find it really interesting and look at it. But the reason that this letter um, was preserved was because Paul makes some, some insights in here. We'll see them today. There are some incredible insights as to what Jesus did or what he believed Jesus did when he died on the cross and what was actually accomplished there. And I'm excited to see at the heart of this message is a really deep and really helpful truths about how life works. And I want us to see those today. This is Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. Paul writes this. But when the set time had fully come, that is when God was ready, God, the, set, the stage was set and the time was right. When the, when the set time was full, had fully come, God sent his son, that is Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law. That phrase, under the law, is the phrase we're going to look at really in depth here for the next five minutes or so. To redeem those under the law. This phrase, under the law, it might be new terminology to you if, you've not, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Bible reader. If you are a Bible reader, you might read a phrase like this, like under the law, and be like, okay, what, what does that mean? And let me explain what it is because it's rather important for the rest of our discussion. By the phrase born under the law, Paul is referring to this general sense of morality that is, that is kind of found in, like that is kind of what it means to be human, that all of us have kind of written on our hearts. What he's saying is that we are born in such a way that there are times in our lives where we, we start to think to ourselves, I ought to do this. I ought not to do this. People, you know, we, we see something happening, like people should not do that, or people should do this. Fa- families should do this. Fathers should do that. Women should never. Men should never. We, we have this sense in us. We're born with this sense of right and wrong, of this idea of like, this is, this is what people should do. This is what humans should do. This is what they should not do. A universal sense of ought or ought not. And even down to like, to me this explains like there's certain things that all of us kind of pound our fists and say, that's not right. What's happening to those kids or whatever, that's not right. Paul is appealing to that. He's saying we're born under that law. Um, he would say well, that exists because we're born under the law. And the Christian and, Jew- the Christian and Jewish explanation of that is it's not just simply our conscience that's informing us. It's not just simply psychology. It's not something, uh, it's not like uh, some leftover code that was preserved over the years uh, as a process of evolution. In Paul's worldview, you, may, you might not agree with this, but in Paul's worldview, for Paul, it was something that was placed there by the creator. Not to limit us, not to, not to, you know, like it wasn't that the creator didn't want us to have any fun. It was actually he placed this law in our brains and that, uh, that, that we're able to kind of lean back on, that we know what a, a semblance of what's right or wrong in order to protect us, which is, uh, which is why we see a semblance of that in every culture. Every culture has some sort of law code, and if you look at them as a whole, they're fairly similar. Paul would say that's because we are born under the law and therefore we are accountable to the law. I know this is a little dry, but just just hang with me here for a second because this gets really good. This has huge implications for the whole comparison thing. That's something we have in common, this sense of right and wrong. Here's another thing that we have in common when it comes to the law. None of us live up to it. None of us can keep what we know to be right. 
none of us lives up to. We know that we should do this. We ought to do this, and yet we go and do the other thing. We do the opposite sometimes. Not because we didn't know, but because we just, something happened. We did the opposite. We know, we should, we know what is not good to do, that it's not good to do certain things, and yet we go and do them otherwise. And see, because of that, all of us know what it's like to the, like, feel like we're reaching. Like, we all have this sense of, like, I know I'm supposed to, and yet I just, I can never seem to do that. Like, sometimes I do it, but sometimes I don't. And what is that? Like, I don't know. And, and see, which is why I think Paul, this is genius, I think Paul uses this phrase, under the law, because that's exactly how you and I feel sometimes in regard to the law. We feel like it's something that's over us. It's something that's above us. It's something that we can't reach because we are under it. And here's the thing. Any time that you and I know what we are supposed to do, right? Catch this. Any time we know what we are supposed to do and we cannot do it, how does that leave us feel? Pretty insecure. When we know what's right, and maybe we even see other people doing it, and for some reason I can't do that, how does it leave us feeling? It leaves us feeling very, very insecure, put that into this whole comparison thing. See, this, this is, I, I believe this is what leads us. It's this idea, this, this idea of I can't reach the law. I think that's actually a big driving force as to why you and I want to compare what I have to you have. And, you know, am I as far as you are? Am I as tall as you are? That's why that's constantly there is because there's this constant insecurity that I can't reach the law. And so we chase wealth and we chase fitness and we chase accomplishment, and we chase the girl. Because if I can get there, if I can get then, then maybe I will be okay. Maybe I'll be fine. And here's the thing. There is no, what we need to know, the problem is, is we can't do away with our insecurities of the law by one-upping one another. By I, can't, I can't do away with, with what my fact that I can't reach that by, by you know, being better than you. There are certain insecurities. See, what I'm trying to help us see is there's certain insecurities in us that nobody, no thing, no accomplishment, no acquisition can fully restore. But there's two analogies that I thought of this week that I think help bring this to life. One of them is, the first one was this. Remember the joke of outrunning the bear? Two guys walking in the woods one day. If you haven't heard the joke, here's, it goes like this. Two guys walking in the woods one day, and a bear starts running at them. And one of the guys starts to pull out running shoes and puts them on. And the other guy looks at him and he says, you fool, you can't outrun a bear. And the guy says, oh, no, 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 no. I don't need to outrun a bear. I just need to what? Outrun you, <laughs> right? And then the bear won't get me. See, I think when we compare ourselves to one another in response to our lack of ability to reach the law and our lack of ability to, to, to line up with the law, it's like we're saying to each other, the law can't get me as long as I can outrun you. <laughs> it's kind of silly, right? Second analogy. I think this one's better. Imagine if we were all cars lined up in a row. We're all cars. And let's say my car, like I've got my car, and I realize, or I am a car, like I have a car, whatever, I have a car, okay? <laughs> let's say, for instance, that car, I realize that it's shot. It's broke. The engine is, is shot. 
I can't start it. You know, head gasket, transmission, you know, something big. I'm sorry, uh, there's a mechanic in the room that's just like rolling his eyes right now. But you, you get the point, right? Like imagine if I, my car was completely broken. And in response to the brokenness of the engine, I decide to put my time and energy into making sure that the exterior of the car looks really good. So I sand it and paint it, and I want, I'm, I'm working hard because you're right next to me, and I'm working hard to make that car look better than your car. You, you see, like imagine if I put my time in doing that. And since I can't fix it, I, like I put my time into, sorry, I lost my place here a second. I put my energy into painting the outside so that it looks better than you. And while my car at the end, while my car might look better than yours, it's still broken, right? And while I might feel better about myself because I look better than you, I'm still broken. See, likewise, as much as I would like to make my, 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 my disparity between the law, I would like to make my, make my disparity, like, I would like to make it about a disparity about you and me. But that, has, that does nothing to do, help me with my disparity between me and the law. See, there's no approval, there's no accomplishment, no achievement that in the end allows me to say, I'm fine. Like, if I can just get there, I'll be all right. It doesn't matter how much I can outpace you. It doesn't matter how, much, how, how good I can make myself look in comparison to you. I'm still broken. I'm still falling short of the law because there's a break between me and the law and there's a break between what I know to be true and what I actually do. And, and see, here's what I'm trying to help us see is because of this break, we all have this, this is us, because of this break, there's an insecurity about in, in you and in me that goes to the core of our souls. That's what Paul would say. That's what it means to be born under the law. And honestly, like, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but it kind of explains why we're always reaching, why we're always striving, why we're always toiling. Because this is the conundrum facing people under the law. This is what Paul is talking about. This is what he means, okay? So now that we have a sense of what it means to be born under the law, I want us to read this verse again. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under, born of a woman, born under the law, just like we are, to redeem those under the law. See, in light of the, our struggle with the law, our disparity between us and the law, God did something. God said, and, it, and I love how Paul says this, at just the right time, God did something. It's like, you know those movies where it's like, you're like, I don't know how they're going to get out of this predicament. I don't know how this is going to resolve. And then right at the end, like right at the right time, the hero shows up. Paul's like saying, it's kind of like that for you and me. That when we were just like so struggling and, and comparing to each other and just like searching for who we are and where we stand, just at the right time, God sent his son into the world to redeem those under the law. And this, this word redeem is a transactional term. It's a financial term. It's, it's saying that, that God sent his son Jesus in order to, to redeem us, to buy us back, to win 
us back, to regain something that he had lost, us. I think maybe the best way of looking at it for us today is redemption. To redeem something means to restore value to something that has lost its worth. Again, the car analogy is a really good one. Say again, we're all cars, right? Let's, and let's say not, we're, not just are we all cars. We're good cars. We're Ferraris. We're Lamborghinis. We're Ford pickup trucks. I mean, we're just awesome car, awesome vehicles, right? And, 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 you know, it's like Jesus came down and we're like, Jesus, look, it doesn't my car look, I've been working hard on how good it looks. He's like, yeah, son, it looks good. And he just opens up the hood and gets to the root of the problem and he starts to fix it. And in fixing it, he brings redemption to it. It's a car, like really a car is as is, is good or as beautiful as it, it is. It's really only valuable if it's functional, right? And that's what Jesus is doing. He said, you have great value. Even though you've, you've gone away from me, you, you're, you're potentially, you have the potential to do all of this good. And yes, you, you actually went and did a bunch of evil with that intelligence, with that talent, with that beauty, with that wealth. But I'm coming to redeem you and to make you valuable again. That's what redemption means. At just the right time, God sent his son to redeem those of us under the law. But the whole redemption thing is kind of transactional. It's like, hey, I'll pay for you and then, and then you're redeemed. And that's what God did. But what, what the next phrase that we're going to look at is so good because it gets at what God desires. It's not what, just what he did, but it gets, it gets at what God desires for us. This is verse 5. He, he redeemed those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Again, he, he came down to redeem us, but not just redeem us, redeem us to the point where we could just be like, hey, the goal of sending Jesus was not just to fix us, like not just be like, okay, we square, you running, okay, now you can go. No, 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 he wanted more, he wanted deep, it's not just to simply forgive us or to make it good, make it sure we go to heaven when we die. It was bigger than that. When, Je- when God sent his son, Jesus, he made it possible to adopt us and bring us in a lot closer and make us sons and daughters. Here's the thing. We have to unpack adoption a little bit because adoption in the ancient world was far different than the adoption in, in the modern context. Because honestly, what maybe the biggest difference was adoption in the ancient world rarely involved a child. It was usually one adult adopting another adult, which you'd be like, why would you do that? Like, that makes no sense in our context, but it made perfect sense in theirs because there might be somebody who has an estate or wealth but has no children. And so what they would do was they would, they would, they would take someone they love, someone they like, someone they say, hey, I, I want to adopt you. And they would literally just send them the documentation you know, and they would be sent to them. They wouldn't have to do anything. They wouldn't have to sign anything. It would just say, congratulations, you are my son. And now because of the, you are my son, you are, you are the inheritor of my estate. See, it's interesting that, like, they, that people would bring in children, of course. You know, if they were your brothers died, you might take in his children and take care of them because that's what family do. But that was not what they would call adoption. Adoption was an adult adopting another adult and saying, I see something in you and I want to give something to you. You're my son. The implications for this is as, as Paul's readers would, read, would see this, they say they would think an adult adopting an adult, they would think it like, okay, so God 
God who knows you as an adult. God, Paul's saying, God who knows you, your sin. He knows your past. God who knows you don't always add up. God who knows everything about you sent his son to redeem you and adopt you. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that a great imagery? He's, you know, he knew all of this about you and he still sent his son for you. Not so you can be a Christian. Yeah, of course, you can call yourself a Christian. Not just so you can be a follower of Jesus or become a better person or your kids can become. No, 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 no. He sent his son so that you could become a child. It's not just a transaction. It's super relational. That's what Paul's trying to see here. And, and then he drives this point home in the next verse. This is so good. Verse 6, he says, because you are sons, and so because of this, God, has sent his, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And what Paul does here is so incredible. It's, it's remarkable. He uses two words. One, uh, the, the word Father is a Greek word. And then he uses the word Abba, which is a, a Hebrew word. And it was almost like Paul was saying, it's, it's like the Greek word father is run out of punch. Like, it, I can't just say, you know, like the spirit will come, uh, like the spirit comes into us and then we're able to call God father. No, it's more than that. So he, he, he's like, there, there, there is no Greek word for what I'm trying to get at. So I'm going to borrow a Hebrew word. I'm going to borrow the word Abba, which could be translated as dad or even daddy i don't know about you i'm not that's i'm not all that comfortable like that idea of like the god of the universe right like like i wouldn't you know like i wouldn't call a ceo hey daddy you know like that would just be wrong it, it, but like and this is god like it, i mean how it's intimate it's relational it's, it's it's this emotional term that paul and paul what paul is trying to say here is i, I want you to get i want this to sink in on you because you are a son, because you are a daughter, because you've been adopted, you can now have a relationship with God where you can call him dad. I pictured, as I was preparing this, I was like, is like imagine, these are, these are Greek readers, and so they're reading Greek and they see this Hebrew word. Imagine they'd have to go find their Hebrew friend. <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, okay, I think I know what this means, but what does this word mean to you? They're like, you know, like, did you get Paul's letter? No, I haven't seen it yet. Look at this. Abba, Father. What does that mean to you? It's like, well, I know what the word means, but here's what's weird. I used to call my dad that when I was like four. Like, that's what that means. And for Paul, it was almost as if the word father was too formal for describing the connection that we get with God through his son, Jesus. He's saying the best way, that Abba is really the best way to capture the relationship that people are able to have with God when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a transaction. It's not, okay, now you're a Christian, you're good. You're, now you're a good egg. It's more than that. It's not just you get to he go to heaven when you die. Yes, that's true, but... It has significance for right now. It's far better than that. It's more personal. You've been redeemed. You've been adopted, and you're able to call God dad.
What if that idea moved from the screen to your head to your heart? What if, what if you could, could grasp, what if we could grasp all the implications of what it means to be able to call the God of the universe Dad? What might happen inside of you if you're able to do that? Let me ask you a question here. Who do perfect parents compare their children to? What, who do perfect parents compare their children to? I, I've seen some not perfect parents, and they've got a newborn baby, and that baby is not cute. <laughs> and yet, and yet, and yet, as they hold that baby, that baby is the most precious, most beautiful, most, like to them, it is the only baby in the world. Why? Because it's their baby. And they're not looking around. Even average parents, they're not like in the you know, nursery ward being like, oh, this one doesn't have a head that looks like a squash. You know, like, like no, 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 like my squash head, t- that's my boy, right? Who do perfect parents compare their children to? Answer it. Nobody. Who do, who do, who do perfect parents compare their children to? Say it. Nobody. Second question, who does your heavenly father compare you to? Your neighbor? Your sister? Your boss? The preacher? Billy Graham? Who does your heavenly father compare you to? See, here's the deal. This is so important. As long as Christianity is categorical for you, as long as Christianity is, I, you know, now I'm a Christian, so I am forgiven. You know, as long as the Christianity is, I, I'm a, now I'm a better person, or it helps make my kids better people, or you know, like it, it makes me a better parent. As long as it's like, since I'm a Christian, now I can do more. This kind of thinking keeps God at arm's length. But what if God sent his son into the world to redeem you, to adopt you as his son or daughter to the point where you could refer to him as dad, this very intimate term? What if by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, and and, and maybe you can remember a time when you did that as an adult, as a 16-year-old, as a 15-year-old, what if, what if by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, he adopted you and now you are his son? What if, if God sees you in these terms and he's just waiting for you to respond to him in these terms? How, and, and, and if we did that, how might that change your view of you? So I'll ask you again. What does your heavenly Father, who does your heavenly Father compare you to? Answer, say it. Nobody. Nobody. And if, here's, if this ever gets into our hearts, it could change everything about us. 
Here's another question I want to answer. Whose estimation of you should you believe? Yours or his? <laughs> if you have a kid, even like little, little kids, if you have a kid, you know what it's like. All of us have had those conversations where the, the kid is just down on themselves and you're like, oh, child, if you could just see you the way I see you, <laughs> you would be all right. You would see how valuable you are. If you could just see, like right now, my daughter, if you could see you the way I see you, you would have the strength to, to deal with those mean girls. <laughs> if you could just see you the way that I see you, you would, you would feel so valuable even though you're not doing great in school right now. Oh, child, if you could just see you the way I see what the difference it would make. Whose estimation of you should you believe? Yours or his. Bottom line, take your cue about you from the one who made you, who loves you, and who redeemed you. That's what, take your cue from the one who made you, the one who loved you, the one who redeemed you. See, see what if every time that you and I were tempted to look to our left or look to our right to see if we're doing all right, and we're looking at like, oh, I wish I was cute as, I wish I was skinny as her, I wish I, the, I, I, wish I knew what was coming next in life after college like they do. What, no, 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 no. Like, what if every time you were thinking that way, you stopped, you said, okay, wait, wait, wait. There's no win in comparison. Sure, in, 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 sure, I'll be inspired by, like, I think it's cool what they're doing. That's, that's, that, I think it's great. That's, I, I would love to be like that someday. In fact, I can even celebrate you. <laughs> I can celebrate the fact that you're good at this. You're better at this than me. I can celebrate you because I'm not taking my cue from you. I'm taking my cue from the one who made me. And he says, I'm fine. There's a sense in which God's saying, you're fine because you're mine. What if we prayed, Heavenly Father, I want to take my cue from you. I want, to, I want to see me the way that you see me. I think God loves to answer that prayer. I think there's, there's so much that happens in praying a prayer like that. And, and here's the thing. Again, going back to like, for those of you that have drive or you're type A or like, you're just you're like, uh, like, like what, but should I not try or should I let go and let God? Like you don't like that idea. Listen, 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 listen. Your best version of you, <laughs> your most productive, your most, your, your most efficient, the, the best version of you is found when you see you the way God sees you. He's fine with you. He's fine with us, but, he does, but he's not done with us. Right? Can we all agree? Like, like, just like a child, there's some growing to do. God looks at this and he said, there's some development to do. There's some changing we're going to do. You're fine because you're mine, you're, but just because you're fine doesn't mean I'm done with you yet. See, when, taking, when we start to take our cue from, from, from him, we start to discover who we really are and what he wants to accomplish through us, what he made us to do. Because he, here's the deal. God has a plan for your life. God has a will 
for your life. And it's different than the will of, you know, of his will for the person next to you, which is why you're different than them. And he wants to do something different. So, so your job, simply, and this is so good. This is, this is why I think it's so meaningful to be a Christian. Our, our faith has so much to offer. Because it means that all I need to do, all I simply need to do when I get up in the morning is just stay in the center of his will. I just need to get up in the morning and say, okay, Dad, what are you up to today? What are we doing today? Okay, we're going to that job. I don't really like that job, but I guess we're going to that job. I wish I was here in this promotion, whatever, but that's what we're going to do. I'm with you. And yeah, when I look to my left and my right, I see people who are excelling, who are faster, who are better, who are good at this, and I'm not. And that's okay because that's not where I take my cue. So God, you accomplish in me what you want to accomplish. You do in me what you would like to do because I'm with you. (sighs) Wouldn't that be nice? Isn't, Isn't that peaceful? (laughs) Imagine how much peace we could have if the idea of God as our Father went from our heart, our head, to our hearts. Can you imagine what peace might come? Because you're living life the way it was intended to be lived, in connection with your Heavenly Father, taking your cue from Him, on adventure with Him, and you're your, your perfect heavenly father doesn't compare you to anybody else. And he doesn't want you to either. <sighs> Take your cue about you from the one who made you, loves you, and redeems you. There's no win in comparison. Because this is why comparison is so dangerous. It, it, it takes our eyes off of him and puts it on us, around us. Take your cue from the one who made you, loves you, and redeems you. Here's what I want you to do this week. A lot of you are reading the blue book with us, doing that, that daily. It's, it's a devotional that's set up to be done in a couple minutes every day, um, a couple times a week, however it works for you. And it's, it's cool because it's got a bunch of different readings and a bunch of different prayers that you can kind of take what you need from, from what's there. Page 106 is what we're going to do together as a church next week. Um, it's called Loved by God. And it's, it's, if, if, if this is a message that you would like to get into your heart, I can't think of a better way to get it into our heart than to think about it every day. And, and the blue book, page 106, Loved by God, will help you do that this week. We forget so fast, daily time with your Father is how we remember. Daily time with Him is, is how we remember who we actually are. If you don't know, if you're a child of God, let's take care of that this morning. If, if, you've, if maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you've always considered yourself a Christian, but you, this idea of, of calling God your Father, calling Him Dad, or being a child of God is a new idea. Let's, I, I, wanna, I would ask you, let, let's, 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 let's take care of that. Let's, you can do that by simply putting your faith in the one who died for you and therefore redeemed you and adopted you. So let's pray. Lord, 
I confess that me, myself, the preacher, I confess that I take my cue from someone other than you all the time. And for those of us, or some of us in the room, Lord, that we don't know, know where we stand with you, and we would like to become your children. I pray, if that's you, I pray this prayer, just in your, in, your, in your mind, pray with me. I would like to become your child. I would like to be adopted through your son, Jesus Christ. I would like you to see, I would like to see me the way you see me. Lord, I pray that, that we would be able to do that this week, that we would grow in our understanding of you, we would pursue you, and in turn, you would show us who we truly are. In your name, amen. Let's stand.